0: We are continuing our sermon series that we launched last week, A Story to Live In. Um, We spoke last week how we are surrounded by stories in our world and our culture, uh, stories telling us how to live well how to be happy, how to be successful. Uh, And and these stories that are around us all the time through advertising or uh, political worldviews or from our friends and family, they kind of start to seep into us and eventually uh, they dictate how we behave as we start to live into and believe the stories that we are surrounded by. And so, um, as we are growing up into uh, this culture of so many stories, so much noise and so many distractions, as followers of Jesus, uh, we have a story to live in. The narrative of Scripture, the Bible, uh, the grand story uh, of God uh, and his people. And uh, and as we immerse ourselves into this story, uh, we live it out So we live into the story of Scripture, but we are called to live it out in our families, in our communities, in our friendships, uh, in our halls, in our workplaces, uh, as we seek the renewal of the city. And so today, um, uh, we did like an intro last week. Today, we are like going all in. Um, uh, we're going to do creation and fall. Who can I get? an Amen? amen. Yeah. Who's excited? Big time. Uh, and to help us, uh, to guide us through the reading, we have the fabulous G, um, who's going to come uh, and read. So let's have a big round of applause. Our reading is taken from Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 and 26 to 27. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks so much, G. Uh, So today, we are in the beginning. Genesis, which simply means the origin, like kind of where it all uh, began. And uh, as we said last week, uh, I'm going to miss out so much more than I could possibly have time uh, to cover in. So therefore, there is so much more to discover and explore. And our hope as we speak into uh, this is that you kind of have a sense of of hunger, of longing, a desire to go and then uh, search a little bit for Further into this story, and uh, there's a super helpful resource uh, for doing that uh, by getting yourself a copy of Pete Hughes's book, All Things New. And again, I did it this morning, and um, I Imagine I've just picked it up. Um, it's, it's still on my kitchen table. Um, uh, I meant to bring it this morning as well. Like, oh, Pete, what book. Um, uh, Pete Hughes All Things New. Uh, lots of what I'm going to be speaking about today is uh, in that book. And uh, Pete Hughes is a friend of ours here. He spoke at one of our online services. And, and Hannah actually um, uh, used to go to his church in King's Cross. And uh, he, in this book, gives us a really helpful framework for understanding. Understanding both the pattern of scripture, the pattern of the Bible, but also the pattern of our apprenticeship as we follow Jesus. And it is this, it's creation, creation, the creation, recreation, And let me just rifle through that. Firstly, creation. God creates the world uh, and humanity is fully alive in relationship with its creator, God. Like humanity is in re- right relationship with God, with one another, and with the created order. And we'll be speaking more into that today. It's a vision of what we were made for, intentional, um, intentionally made for and designed for. And it's also a vision of what we are destined for. And then uh, decreation. So uh, in the creation story, sin enters the world and things are broken off from their original intention and purpose, and death becomes part of the story. But then recreation, because of God's uh, overflowing mercy and grace and love, God pursues us and makes a way for us to find home in his presence once again. And so, um, before we dive into uh, the story of Genesis 1 to 3, I want to start uh, with this. Um, uh, Do join in if you can, um, and we'll see how this goes. If you like a lot of chocolate on your biscuit, yes! Tim, you got my back. Um, uh, there was quite there was quite a few more people singing in this morning. Um, uh, so that song, out of context, if I just sort of start singing that song, for those of you uh, who don't know that song, you're probably thinking. I thought he was weird. That just confirmed it. Um, uh, but for those of you who grew up a little bit later than some others of you, um, oh, sorry, sorry, a little bit earlier than some others of you, it's bringing back nostalgic memories of the best lunchbox lunchbox chocolate bar has ever been invented. Um, and here is the original song in its original context in a 1994 version of the... Yeah, here we go. A load of chocolate on your biscuit. Wait for it. Yeah. Um, you see, out of context, bit random. In context makes all the sense. Here's my point. When it comes to reading the Bible, context is key. Uh, Sandra Richer says this, If we are going to understand the intent of the biblical authors, we need to see their world the way that they did. Rather than like approaching the text just simply as we are, meaning bringing all of our preconceived ideas, our current worldview, all of the stories that we're immersed into as we enter into this ancient text Uh, Rather than seeing it just as we are, uh, to really understand this, we have to see the text as it is. Asking questions like, what was the culture? What was the kind of uh, what was the political situation at the time? What were the prevailing voices? How was it speaking into? How were these uh, interactions uh, making sense in their time? Then, once we can kind of delve into the context, then we can ask. So, in light of that, what does it mean now? In light of what it mean, meant then, what does it mean for us now? I'd say um, kind of, it's a bit like being an art gallery. Uh, when you go to an art gallery, you see a kind of beautiful artwork and, and in, it, in and of itself, you can look at a painting and be like, wow, that's amazing. That's like, that's so beautiful. And, and you can take what you want from it. And there is an element to reading the Bible where that is totally legitimate, where you read, particularly like read the Psalms or read the Gospels, and you just think, wow, like that's it's just stunning. And, and actually, um, just going back to our reading, like that is why I want us to say at the end of the readings, this is the word of the, God, word of the Lord and your response being, thanks be to God. Because there's just something about reading Scripture that transforms lives. It has changed the course of history. It's transformed people's lives over and over again. And so, yes, you can go to an art gallery like that. But uh, as you go around, you normally have a guide, whether it's an audio guide or you're reading the, um, uh, the tiles next to the paintings uh, as you go around from room to room. And on those or in the audio guide, what you get is some of the background. You get some of the story behind why the artist made the picture, what their intent was, what the context that they were painting in, even some of the materials that they use. And as you engage further into the context of the painting, it can bring a much richer and much fuller flourishing picture to life for you. And so when we read the Bible in context, it becomes so important for us to get hold of things like a study Bible that will kind of give us a few clues as to what's going on, a reading plan, commentaries, journeying together with others uh, as we journey into this story. Uh, So context is key. And the reason I want to start with that is to say that the context, context... The context is what makes Genesis so remarkable. You see, all cultures at uh, the time, they all had their origin stories in mythology of some sort, but normally it was two, three, or more gods kind of like battling it out, sort of like Thor-style cosmic battles uh, as their their origin story being this was the god that was victor over whatever other god uh, they were battling, and their prize was a subservient humanity the prize that they won was like the worship from uh, their servants. Whereas what is unique about the Christian story, our origin, is that it doesn't. It's one that stands out from all other origin stories of its time, where it says this, God created out of nothing. No big battle, Nothing to like win or overcome or a cosmic fight, but rather our story starts like this. It says, in the beginning, God created. You see, God like simply speaks and the world is set in motion. This is an incomparable, unrivaled power. He doesn't need to win a cosmic battle. He is all-powerful in and of himself. And so the creator God creates the land, the sea, the moon, the stars, and, and creation itself is perfectly constructed. It's put together, knit together to create the conditions of life so that it flourishes. The land, the moon, the stars, the sea, and then the pinnacle of creation He creates humanity, meaning that it's still today you are not a mistake. You were intended to be made by God. The other so important piece of context is that it's out of the overflow of his great love that God creates That's why as we read through the stanza, it's over and over again. God saw that it was good, that it was good, that it was very good. This word tov, which just means it's like it's in and of itself, beauty, nothing compares, good. You see, Genesis 1 to 3 is not particularly interested with the specific questions of how, but it is primarily addressing the question of why. Out of his overflow of love. God created. And so, as we think about uh, all the stories that we're surrounded by, the worldviews that we could possibly kind of immerse ourselves into political, religious, cultural, ideolo- ideological worldviews what Genesis gives us is a scriptural worldview, a biblical worldview to live in to. And so, Genesis gives us a worldview that answers three questions. What is the character of God? What is uh, the purpose of the created order? And lastly, what is the call upon humanity to be the image bearers of this God? And so, what I want to hone in on today and reflect on is that last one. What does it mean for us as humans, still in 2023, what does it mean for us to bear the image of God? You up for it? Yeah. Yes, Tom is up for it, so we're going. Um, so first thing, I just want to draw out three things, and then we'll move on to Genesis 3, uh, and then we'll, um, uh, we'll land it there. But firstly, I think it means, uh, one, one of the implications of being made in the image of God is this, that we are, so, oh, that was a quote, we are sons and daughters. Verse 27 says this, God created mankind in his own image. Uh, The Hebrew word for image there is Selem, so like to bear the image. Um, Last week, uh, I was holding my three-year-old son, and I saw someone I hadn't seen for a while, and they came up to me and was like, John, he is your spitting image. Um, which I was like, I don't look like a three-year-old, but like I get what you're, I get what you're saying. Um, it, you know, when someone says that, it, someone it's like they, you carry such a close resemblance to one another. I can see you. I can see each other in uh, the both of you. And so, uh, the point of verse 27 is this: What my son is to me, you are to God. You bear the image. You bear such a close resemblance to God. It's like you carry around God's DNA within you, his heart, his character, his mind, his wisdom. You are made in his image for close relationship with him. The second implication of being a son or daughter of God, it means this, you are loved. You are loved perfectly by a perfect father. Some of you, you've had great experiences of really good, attentive parents in this lifetime. You know what? God is so much better than that. Some of you have had really bad experiences or even non-existent parents, but God in his kindness, in his tenderness and his compassion can perfectly love you, restore what has been lost, heal what has been broken. You are always perfectly loved by a perfect father in God, for you are his child. Secondly, being made in the image of God means this. We have a royal identity. Um, Psalm 8, uh, King David is looking up at the the sky, I can't say that word, stars in the sky, um, and he says this, he says, When I consider your heavens, this is like his worship song, his poem to the Lord. The work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, which, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. In other words, in this moment, uh, David is asking the question, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean for me to exist to have my being and place. And you're expecting the answer, the second, uh, this next line in verse five to be like, I'm nothing. Compared to all of this, compared to all of creation, compared to the billions of stars and galaxies out there, like, what am I? I'm dust. I'm nothing. I'm no one. Yet verse five says this. You have made them, you and me, humans, a little lower than the heavens and crown them with glory and honor you made them rulers over the works of your hands you have been given a royal identity what david is unpacking there is what it says in genesis 1:26 that you have been made in the image of god created to rule over the earth that is the role of royalty to rule and to reign You see, in context, unlike any other story, an origin story of its time, uh, where humanity was uh, kind of uh, the victor's spoils to be the subservient um, worshipper of the new master, rather our origin story is that humanity is created to partner with God in the stewarding of his good creation. You are his son and daughter, and you are invited as a result to share in his rule and reign. That is crazy. When I think about my life, I'm like, God, are you serious? Like, you want me to share in the stewarding of your creation, all this, and you have called me royal. That's, that's, a, that's a mind-boggling position to have been called into by the Lord. Maybe you need to receive this afresh again today. For, for in, in the learning of what it means to be made in the image of God, that should just change everything about you. Every decision you ever make, every, every decision that you make for the rest of your life, I am a child of God. I have been called royal, been given purpose, been given dignity. I've been given intrinsic value and worth. That is going to change the way that you live out your story. You have been made royal and that cannot be taken or lost from you. Which brings us to implication number three, that we are God's living statues in the world. Uh, One of the other ways that the Hebrew words uh, for image, zilem, would have been understood is when uh, people would use it to describe a statue. Now again, out of context, that doesn't mean much, but in context, it is utterly profound. See, in the ancient Near East, um, uh, every god had a temple and every temple had a statue. So uh, people had lots of gods that they would worship. Uh, And uh, outside the temple of that particular god, there would be a statue. And the role of that statue uh, was to represent, to bear the image of whatever that god was to the world. It was to say, like, this is what this particular god is like. Therefore, worship them. Uh, In this picture, we have uh, an artist... uh, kind of reinterpretation of what it could have looked like. And this particular temple um, is one of the gods in Nineveh called Isha, uh, which when translated to English is um, uh, my little pony, the god of my little ponies. I don't know. Do you speak Hebrew? Could be. Who knows? That may or may not be true. Uh, Anyway, Um, So outside these temples, uh, they had these statues. But what is unique is that God specifically says to the people of Israel, do not build statues outside the temple. Leviticus 26, don't make yourself idols or set an image or sacred stone. Don't carve out stone in your land and bow down before it for I am the Lord your God. And so when they build the temple in Jerusalem, uh, there is no statue outside. All of this is God's way of reminding them of their original design. All of this is God's way of saying, I do not need statues of bronze or stone, or silver, or gold, because I have something so much better, I have you, I have you, my living statues, you are my Salem. you are the image uh, of me carried into the world to show the world what I am like. And what's more is that you are living statues. You're not kind of motionless stone outside a temple. But in Genesis 2, 7, we see where God breathed his life into humans, his life-giving, sustaining power, his presence into humanity. So now we are living statues containing the very presence of God within us, carrying that presence into the world. I think of days like the Saints in the City Day where we go out once or twice a year. We um, go litter picking and we do gardening projects and we serve coffee and we celebrate a big kind of family uh, community uh, party out here. And we're like wearing these bright T-shirts that you see in the picture here. It's like we go out into the city at these like brightly colored living statues to say, Southampton, this is what God is like. He brings joy. He brings light and lightness. He brings life-giving grace. He goes into the forgotten about dark places uh, and he uh, and he, he brings life out of things that have been lost, forgotten and left to die. The overgrown spaces and the forgotten parts of our city, he loves them too. We show the city what our God is like, but it's so much more than a Saturday every now and again. You know, consider your life for a moment, the job that you have, the people that you live with, the people on your road, your social networks, your families, your friendships. What is God's plan to bring about his renewal and restoration in those places? It's still his living statues. It's still you, his Selem, representing his image into the world. You, energized by the breath and presence of God within you, becoming a signpost to God's goodness. A signpost to say, hey, this is what the King of Kings is like. It's like in simple ways, as Libby and Sophie did so well with Liam for all those years. It's just saying like, hey, like there's this God out there and he's for you and he loves you. Come to this Alpha Course, please. There's free food. It's signposting to a kingdom and a life that is better than the one we currently live in. You are loved because you are a son or daughter of the king. You have been given a new position of authority and power as his royal nation, his royal identity. And he has called you to be his living statues, he has dignified you with purpose to be as living statues throughout all the earth, that is a story worth living in. And that is a story worth living out. But Genesis 2 is very quickly followed by Genesis 3. And if we go back to our pattern We've got creation and all the beauty and all the wonder and all the kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how good that is. And it's followed by Genesis chapter 3. But just like a sidebar, um, uh, our story does not start in Genesis chapter 3, but it starts with this glorious image of freedom, of life and flourishing. Uh, And so then in chapter 3, uh, it, it tells us how created order itself is unraveled through sin. The decreation, the distortion of our true image becomes part of our story. Martin Luther, is a German uh, theologian and reformer in the 1500s, he described sin as this, a life turned in on itself. You see, you were created to orbit God. That is where your true freedom lies, to live a life centered around him. And sin is what happens when you put yourself in the center of that story and you try and make everything else in the earth orbit you. And so in Genesis 2, God says to Adam and Eve, enjoy the garden and all the fruits of the trees, just this one fruit. It was one tree, don't eat its fruits. Uh, And then we read this in Genesis uh, 3 at the start in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Uh, And the woman Eve uh, said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of, of the garden notice where the center of gravity is in the garden of eden you must not eat from the tr- uh, from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden you must not touch it or you will die you will certainly not die replied the serpent saying to the woman for god knows that when you eat from it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. This is the utter tragedy of our human story because Genesis 1 to 2, we have already been made in the image of God. We have already been given our status as his children, his royal identity his living statues called with a vocation into the world. And then the serpent says, you will be like God. What he's basically saying is, you don't need to settle for just being like this king and his kingdom. Why not build your own kingdom where you are king? You don't have to settle uh, for just simply being the partner of God in his creation. Why don't you put yourself in the center of the story and now you can rival him. You can take him on at his own game. You can, control, can call the shots and you can be in control rather than partner, rival. Rival. And Tim Keller uh, summarizes it so beautifully like this. When the Bible talks about sin, it's not just referring to the bad things we do, like lying or lust or whatever the case may be. It is ignoring God in the world that he has made. It's rebelling against him by living without reference to him. It's saying, I will decide exactly how I live my life. And Jesus said, that is our main problem. So Adam and Eve, they grab the fruit and everything goes wrong. Created order becomes disordered. Harmony and freedom and life and lightness is lost and relationships start to break. And this is our struggle, right? I hope it's not just me in here tonight. Uh, we've been made by God, we have been given these God-given identities, we've been given this blueprint for the fullness of life, loved, been given dignity and purpose and power. But then when our desires become disordered, we start to miss the mark. And even if it's only by a few degrees, Even if it's like one or two things, you unravel it and eventually you're totally lost. Ultimately, what it's doing, it's not like this kind of like bad condemning thing. All that's happening is that you're just moving further and further away from who you were truly created to be. You're moving away from freedom. And Pete Hughes summarizes it like this, sin ultimately leads to our dehumanization settling for less than our God-given identity. We were made to be children of God, meaning we were made to be perfectly loved by him in his presence. But when we take God out of the center of that story, when we stop orbiting around that generous love, we look for it in the wrong places, in escapism, in distractions, in money, and porn, and clothes, and relationships, anything that will attempt to bring us that fleeting moment of love that we so deeply crave and desire because it's what we were made for, yet leaves us as quickly as it arrived in the first place. For the only place to be perfectly loved, wholly loved, is in the presence of your perfectly loving Father. We've been made to be royal, ruling and reigning alongside in partnership with our king yet in our distortion in in our desire to become kings of our own lives and take control back what we are doing is we're effectively we're taking the crown off god and even the crown off ourselves because we've been made royal too and then we put it on other things we put it on stuff that we desire we put it on our desire for success We put it on our desire for satisfaction. We put it on our desire for comfort and control. And it all leads to brokenness and pain. And we were created as living statues carrying the very breath of God to mirror God, to mirror, mirror the image of God to the world. Yet when we orbit ourselves, all we are simply doing is mirroring ourselves back to the world. As a result, we end up striving for recognition in an attempt to find purpose. We seek validation in what we can achieve and we climb over others in order to get ahead, therefore devaluing them and robbing them of their God-given identity and therefore devaluing ourselves. Genesis 3, sin enters the story and everything starts to unravel. And so uh, as you get to the end of chapter three, which is uh, not as cheery as chapter one and two, I'll give you that, um, where we learn that humanity has settled for less than their God-given identity. We see that death, disconnection and pain has entered the world. And chapters four to 11 of Genesis is really the tale of how that disruption and that distortion and that decreation of our true image really has impact in everything. And so as the story unfolds, We are left with this question. How do we get back to the garden? How do we make our our way back to freedom, to life, to flourishing, to being God's child? Is there a remedy against the sin that leads us away from who we truly are? Is there a way of regaining our God-given identity? Well, that is what the rest of Scripture is all about. From Genesis 12 through to Revelation 21, it is a very long journey back to the garden, back to life and back to freedom. And that is what the rest of our series is going to be all about. And as Tom picks up uh, next week from Genesis 12 and Abraham onwards. So for today, let me just leave you with a little trailer for the rest of the script. You see, as we read on in our narrative, we will discover that there is another tree and there is another garden. You see, on this next tree, uh, we will discover where the remedy for sin was provided by Jesus' death on the cross. This once and for all act where he cleared the path to make way for us to be reunited and reconnected with God. He makes a way for our forgiveness and our freedom. And we will also discover a garden where Jesus rose from the tomb to restore and renew all things back into their original created order and purpose, to reclaim our lost identity so that now in Jesus and through placing Jesus at the center of our story and having him as the king of our lives as we've sung so often here, we are adopted into uh, being his children, sons and daughters of God. We are made, new into a royal priesthood a royal family as we partner with the mission of God we become these uh, as Corinthians describe it these living ambassadors but it's the same thing these living statues for God's kingdom with purpose with dignity and with power So as we live into this story for the rest of this series, we will discover that the breath of God is very much alive and active in the world today. His energizing Holy Spirit leading us, empowering us, transforming us, renewing us back into the identity that we were destined and made for. For as we follow the way of Jesus, we are step by step making our way Back to the garden. Let's pray. We're just going to take a moment just in quiet. And uh, before we uh, respond with one last song. Uh, there's a word, um, it, come, it arrives in the New Testament as um, Jesus like, announces uh, his kingdom uh, and his, uh, this, uh, this new uh, order of creation that has come to renew, make all things like they were supposed to be uh, and uses this word repentance. And that word in the Greeks, metanoia, simply means to turn and face a new direction. It's kind of uh, this um, description as God gives us. It's like this kind of, it's to, to recenter the orbit of your world and your life back onto Jesus. And so, just in the quietness of this place, I uh, just want to give us an opportunity before we then respond in worship. And, and I say this like this is not like a. This doesn't have to be like a heavy sort of, oh gosh, woe is us thing. I'd say like sometimes that's kind of like keeping ourselves in the center of our own stories. But it's this freedom and life to turn back to God, re-center ourselves and orbit around him. And so just in the quietness of this place, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, uh, You might want to like kind of repeat these words in your heart by way of saying, like, God, I want to turn to you. I want to put you in the center of my life. This is maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time or just like the 10th time today as we pursue more and more who we are created to be. So let me just pray this. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, To the glory of your name, amen. And let me just pray before we respond in worship. Uh, God, we thank you that you are so quick to forgive. It's almost like as we just turn like a couple of degrees, you are there to say, come on, I love you, I'm for you, I forgive you. Before you've even spoken the words, just as your heart turns, you are forgiven you are free to live into the life that you were created for as his child his royal child and lord we thank you that whenever anyone turns to you as it says in 2 corinthians 3 anyone who turns to the lord the disconnection is taken away and the spirit is given for where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so, Lord, we long to walk in more freedom. And just, um, just last breath, I'll, I'll shut up after this. Um, uh, just as, as preparing, just thinking about um, Gen Z uh, or Gen Z in English, um, uh, just that's currently eight to 23-year-olds, just thinking there has never been a time in history where your identity uh, has been so up, so up for grabs. Where your identity has been wrestled with. And there are so many options and distractions and deceptions and distortions in the stories of the world. And my heart for you is just like, oh, come to Jesus. He's the only place where freedom is available. Reorbit. Reorbit recenter our lives around you, Holy Spirit. We do that knowing that you are good, that you are gracious, that you are kind. Amen.